Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome. Welcome to an all-new episode. God damn it, what do we do here? I think it's my job to let you guys inside of some of the coolest and dopest minds in the business and in the game. And today's mind, today's mind is special. Definitely won't disappoint. Please welcome London Hughes. Goddamn intro, mate. Like that intro, London? Yes, I wish I saved it. Yeah, I love it. Very good one. <laughs> hey, Kevin. How are you? Living my best life. I, I really appreciate you for doing this. Um, I felt I felt the need to talk to you, London, for so many reasons. Um, <laughs> first reason, first reason I want to say is because what a phenomenal year you're having, right? In a in a year where things are not on the up and up, you know, mm-hmm. where we're faced with so much bullshit, mm-hmm. so much bad, you found a way to find a lot of light. And yeah. your career, your career is blossoming. It's 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 truly blossoming. And it's and it's so dope to watch. And as not only a fan, a friend, and a supporter, um, I'm just, I'm in awe of the way that you're moving. Because it's it, it reminds me of you know, a, a point, and the reason why I always, I always try to pull from personal experiences yeah. is because of how I relate, but you know, I remember early on in my career where things just started happening kind of fast. It was like mm-hmm. one after the other. And I just found myself, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. I just kept on shit. I can't believe, I can't believe. And mm-hmm. for you right now, you're getting a lot of oh shits. I mean, you, you dropped a special this year, yeah. uh, how to catch a dick on Netflix. And then you followed it up with a show on Netflix. <laughs> uh, and and now, you know, from my understanding, you have several things in development that, yeah. that you're working on. How are you handling all of this success? I mean, coming over here uh, <laughs> from the UK, now in the States, and, you know, is everything happening the way that you saw it? Or is this... No, hell no. 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 <laughs> no. Are you crazy? No. Do you know what? I'm that girl that always... They say that you should live in the present and I was always living in the future. So back when I was broke, living at my mum's house, not even three years ago, I'd be driving to auditions and thinking about my life in LA and how I'm, and me doing TV shows and me doing a Netflix special. Like I always had that mental, I was always thinking of the future. So now that it's actually happening, it's so surreal because I, I dreamed of this. I thought of this. Not exactly. It was. I wasn't in a global pandemic. It wasn't. It wasn't like I'm stuck indoors. But my career is blossoming. But I can't go outside. But yeah, I just remember having visions of like me being on set or me, yeah, working for Netflix or even you. Did I tell you the story about you? I I feel like I manif- manifested you. Because, uh, tell me, please tell okay, me the so story. When I wrote to catch a dick, I wrote to catch a dick uh, in July twenty. 19 and I you wrote to catch a dick and thought about me, Jesus Christ, <laughs> London. What? No, oh, okay, loser. okay, like, you were there, you were that, you were the inspiration. I was like, I want to catch this dick. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I literally, I literally, I literally wrote it. I sat down in my flat in London. I'd never met you, mm-hmm. you never, you didn't even know I existed. And I sat down and I was like, I'm going to write this, this comedy special and it's an hour of material and I want to be inspired. So I want to have someone in the background. So I put on your latest special, the one you did in London, in the background. Holy cow. Holy cow. And I sat there and wrote to catch a dick with Holy you cow. in the background. Crazy. Here's a question for you. you. You said you sat there and wrote. So is that how you've always approached stand-up? Do you approach stand-up by, by sitting in a space and... 
uh, vetting and writing things out and then taking those things that you wrote out uh, to stage and then working on them? Or is it you like to write first and then well, go? Well, it depends on what I'm doing. Move to Catch a Dick, it was an hour show I wrote for the Edinburgh Comedy Fringe Festival. So I knew I had to write an hour. So I wrote that hour from scratch by sitting on the floor and being like, okay, you've got all this life experience. Throughout my life, I wrote little things in my phone, like that was funny. That time when I sucked his dick for shoes, that was funny. And did it, did it. I just wrote all this stuff down. And so when it was time to write an hour, I looked through my phone of all the little bits and bobs and fleshed out those kind of stories. And yeah, just wrote it all down. But if I was doing like a 20 minute club set, then that's just like little things that I've written in my phone. Or I thought of something funny, I wrote it in my phone. But yeah, with To Catch a Dick, I had to like really sit there, focus, write the hour. When I first wrote it, it was two and a half hours long. Mm. And then I did a preview of it um, and I made the audience stay. I was like, I know you're only booked for an hour, but like we're an hour in and I've still got more material. Can you stay? And they stayed and I did the full two and a half hour set and every joke that they absolutely lost their shit at, that stayed. And then I did it again for, and it was like an hour and a half. And then I changed the structure around because it, one joke got a round of applause. So I was like, oh, that should be at the end. Like, so it was just like telling us, yeah, creating a, not creating a movie. Mm -hmm. It was just like really therapeutic. And then when I performed it at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, that's a month of performing stand up, And I added a new joke every day. Wow. Now what's that the, what's the name of the festival again? So it's called the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. It's so crazy. A lot of Americans don't know about it, but it's the biggest comedy festival in the world. And every August in Edinburgh in Scotland, comedians from all over the world come to Edinburgh and they turn the whole town into a stage. So you will see stand-up comedy in cafes, in libraries, on the street. Wow in buses, in cars, like it's all It's all comedy. It's, yeah, it's, it's just all, all comedy, comedy. All comedy or like uh, improv or like crazy uh, art, performance art, but it's, it's a performing arts festival. At the end of the month, you perform stand-up every month. There's about 5,000 shows. You can literally see comedy at every second of the day. You can see naked comedy, lesbian comedy, mime comedy, like everything. There's something for everyone, basically. And then at the end of the month, uh, seven show, seven to eight shows get nominated for best show. So throughout the month, all these like tastemakers and, and uh, critics from like The Guardian, The Times and comedy connoisseurs will come and watch your show. And the buzziest shows get, you know, seen and talked about. And then out, out of all of those shows, seven or eight get nominated for best show. And last year with To Catch a Dick, I became the first black woman in history to get nominated. Get out of here. That's fucking huge. Yes. You said it's Edinburgh. How do you pronounce it again? So I make sure I pronounce uh, Edinburgh. it. Edinburgh. So Americans call it Edinburgh, but it's Edinburgh. I've definitely said it wrong for all these years. I've okay. pronounced it Edin Edinburgh. Like, uh, and I've been there. Like Monty Python have been nominated. Like, yes. No, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a huge, so, it's a huge festival. I'm I'm aware of the festival. Um, I, I wasn't aware that you were the first black woman, um, yeah. you know, to be nominated and, and to have one. One of the best in shows. That's a huge moment, man. A, a huge moment. They, they gave it to a white guy. I didn't win. Uh, you were nominated. It doesn't matter. doesn't exactly. matter. You, exactly. you were not. <laughs> said, I was the first black woman to be nominated, but I lost to a white guy. It's fine. Yeah. So, it's fine. It's all fine. fine. Wait, <laughs> the show has uh, um, the, the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. I can't just like big up without being honest. It does have a lot of race issues. So there's really? a lot of things of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a lot of, you know, the, in Britain, the type of people that can afford to, to be comedians are middle-class, rich, wealthy, you know, kids and, and who, who parents have said, yeah, go and pursue comedy. You don't have to, you know, get a real job. So mm -hmm. the, uh, to, to perform at the Edinburgh Cost of, uh, Festival costs about six grand just to perform there. Just to perform so, there. Wow. Yeah. And that's wow. just without publicity. That's, that's like, like that's like registration. That's yeah. that's having everything that you need to not only be seen, but for yeah. people to know who they're seeing, know yeah. about and you. It costs for the month publicity. It can cost you. It one Edinburgh cost me ten grand, and literally only like thirty people saw my show, and I spent like ten grand on it. So yeah, you can go there and lose money. So uh, the type of people that go to these shows, performers, are mainly white and yeah the type of people that get nominated are mainly white men uh so to be a black woman 
like Jeannie Ashray, I've spoken to Jeannie Ashray before about it, and she was she did Edinburgh like three or four times, and she would never get nominated, even though her shows were killer and she'd sell it out. Yeah. Didn't even think she was worthy of a nomination, you know. Jeannie's so, had a hell of a following for years, years. Yeah. One of the one I, of the funniest women on the planet, man. She's exactly. so talented, so so, so talented. talented. Are you guys so, close? I, here's the thing: she was one of my heroes. So when I was in school, I would watch Gina on television. She was on the Lenny Henry show, but she wasn't the star. But she just shone. Obviously, it's called the Lenny Henry show. Lenny's like Sir Lenny Henry's the biggest black comic in Britain, hands down. There's mm -hmm. no one bigger than him. He's mm -hmm. even a star. And he had a show on B on the BBC and Gina had a character on that show. And when I was in uh, secondary school, which is like high school for you guys, I would pretend to be Jeannie Ashray in class and imitate her. And so when I started doing comedy, I was like, I want to meet Jeannie Ashray. Like, she's amazing. And by the time I started, she had already left for America because she said, fuck Britain. They don't know how to treat black women in comedy. I'm going to America. And I remember starting comedy and thinking, I'm never going to leave for America. They disrespected Gina. I'm not going to let the British comedy scene do me like they did Gina. I'm staying. They're going to respect me. And mm -hmm. now she lives, I live like 10 minutes away from her. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so we both had to leave. Like, we both had to leave because, yeah, there's so much systemic racism in British comedy. There's so much classism. And being a woman is, is hard. And then being a black woman is fucking impossible. Like, well, I mean, everything, everything happens for a reason, you know, maybe you guys leaving, finding the success that you have found here in the States and being able to go back and maybe have a bigger impact. I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes you got to take two steps backwards to take six to eight steps forward. Um, and, and that's what it seems like is happening because the opportunities that are coming are, are, are big opportunities, massive opportunities. And I, as a, as a fan of the UK, I'm a, I'm a, firm lover of the UK because the support that I've received there throughout the years is, is just been unreal, man. It's unreal. I'm, I'm serious. It's unreal. So, you know, I can only imagine um, how it would feel to be there, have a following and not get the respect for your craft. And, you know, that's, of course, that's where frustration could come from. So I don't, uh, I don't knock either one of you for feeling that way. It's, it's more about, finding a way to change it and you you change it by becoming a, a person that puts people in fucking seats that moves the needle and that's what you helped me do because by having a netflix special do you know i am the first british woman to have an original netflix special wow there's no female comics from britain with wow. an original netflix special i am the first and i'm a black woman i've leapfrogged so many comedians in britain they are fucking pissed off with me, because they're just like, how the fuck did London Hughes get a Netflix special? There's actually like actual British comedy legends that can't get Netflix specials. And I got one. And they're like, well, what? You could have possibly opened up that door. You know what I wish that we as comedians didn't do, though? I wish that there was a world where we kind of, and I've said this before on this podcast, and my listeners are very familiar with me, talking this way. It's like, you know, I, I really wish that there was a world where we didn't look at this as a competition between ourselves. Um, right. Like if, if, yeah. if, if there was a, a, a perfect wish, it would just be for well-rounded support um, in the craft and, and, and understanding of whatever one person's doing has nothing to do with what you're going to do or, exactly. or, or what your plan is. Ultimately, they're just opening up other doors to give you other options of, of doors to go through. If we thought like that, I just feel like it could be such a such a dope space. But I think there's people like I feel the same as you, and there's people like you and me that think like that. Like I always show love, I always try and bring other comics through, and I'm always really open about like we need more support for black women, we need to do this, we need to do that. I have plans, but sometimes it's hard to think like that when the powers that be kind of see you as like a, a one in one out situation. I don't know how mm. it is in American comedy because if you talk of like rich as fuck American comics who are legends, I can name like six or seven of you that are black. Whereas in Britain, there's one, his mm -hmm. name is Lenny Henry. He is that, mm -hmm. that's it. And there's a whole running joke that we're all just waiting for him to die so that we can get on because <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's pretty funny. 
we're all waiting for him to die. We're all so, waiting for so, Lee Henry to die because yeah, that's going to be one of our shots. It's been the running, <laughs> been the running so joke funny. in Black British comedy for years because, so I don't blame other comics that, because even Jeannie Asheray said she left for um, America because there was another female comic called Miss Jocelyn. She had a sketch show called The Miss Jocelyn Show. It's the only, the only black woman sketch show we've ever had. That's it. And it happened in early 2000s. And mm -hmm. this never happened again. When she got that show, Gina knew she had to leave because Gina knew that by her getting that show, it meant that Gina's not going to get a show. And that's yeah. it. So like, it's, it's, it's easy to think like that in America when you can look and see, oh, there's Leslie Jones and Tiffany Haddish. Oh, mm -hmm. there's Kevin Hart and Chris Rock. But in Britain, we can't, there's, there isn't that. So I don't blame some comics, especially black comics. I can't speak for the white comics because they've had very, there's so many successful white male mm -hmm. comics. There's like three famous comics called Russell in Britain at the moment. Like they're all called Russell and they're all white and they're all rich as fuck. So like, I don't, I don't blame, I don't blame black comics for thinking that way. Do you think that the spotlight that's been, you know, put on, put on our world today that, has really brought more awareness to what it is that you're talking about, especially when you say systemic racism, uh, you know, and just the, the lack of equal opportunity, um, you know, for people of color. Do you think that now in the UK, because of the conversation and because of how heightened it has become and, and now, you know, globally, you're seeing people unite that are saying we're aware, we understand this needs to change and it's not only people of color but there's you know there's there's hey. the white people of the world today that are that are stepping out and saying you know i now see and understand what i never saw or understood before like is that is that is that something that now gives you hope to say, okay, well, shit, it could it could get better. It has to get better because look at look at the conversation of today. Yeah, it it does, and it doesn't. It okay. does because what we like to do in Britain is we copy America. If America is doing something, we go, oh fuck, we better sort our shit out and copy mm -hmm. it too. But we it doesn't last. So the first time this happened, uh, outside of George the outside of George Floyd's passing, when America kicks up about diversity. Britain kind of follows suit. So years ago, you remember you guys had Oscars so white. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So when Brett, America had Oscars so white, we have our own Oscars, the BAFTAs. And for the first time ever, black people got nominated for BAFTAs that year because of the fuss of Oscars so white, Britain went, oh, we better sort our shit out. And then the next year it went back to normal. And so I feel like when, when George Floyd passed, Britain was like, fuck, we're racist too. There are so many, George Floyd dying, literally like shook up the world but shook up the british entertainment industry and now there are black people in spots that were never that should have they should have had these jobs years ago but now all of a sudden they're giving them out like candy like you can get a job you can get a tv show you can get a spot and these people deserve spots about five six years ago but it wasn't until the, the america was like fuck and that Look at look at what's happening, and Britain went. Okay, we don't want to look bad. Let's 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 make an effort. And I just worry that by next year it will go back to normal, mm. like, and it will just go back to how it was because mm. I just feel like everyone wants to jump and be woke in the moment and not to be seen as wrong. But it's like if you're only doing it to appease people and you don't truly feel like change needs to happen, then it's it's fake. It's it's performative. For me, the the reason the reason why I left. Um, obviously, because I'm doing very well, thanks to you. But I left, I came to America because in 2018, um, I was at the height of my career in Britain. I was the funny girl in everything. And I'd never, I'd, I'd uh, tried to have my own show eight times. Eight times I've been rejected. And um, I just kept, kept on going. I was doing this, writing, popping up in shows, doing entertainment shows, panel shows. And I saw my career really going somewhere. And I've been doing stand-up for 10 years. And I was like, cool, it's 10 years. Let's go, let's do it. And I got the opportunity to, um, oh, I'm gonna get emotional. I always get emotional telling this story. Cool, okay. I got the opportunity to work with um, Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg, to me, is just the queen. Like she She's is- She's a legend. The legend, she she's is a legend. everything. She is everything to me. And she's mm -hmm. everything to 
who I was when I was eight years old watching Sister Act. She is everything. And uh, I came up with a TV show idea with me and Wolfie Goldberg. And uh, a com the company that I pitched the idea to, loved the idea, reached out to Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg said yes. Wow. So like, I have a show with, like Whoopi saw my stuff. She was like, yes. And it was about me coming to America and Whoopi was going to help me. Basically the premise of the show was, it was like a mockumentary style travel show vibe where I would come to America and try and be Britain's answer to Whoopi Goldberg. And she would guide me. And she's like, and she's really a, like a tough trainer. And she's like training me to be her predecessor, like her British, the next Whoopi Goldberg. Mm -hmm. And uh, Whoopi was so lovely. She even did a little taste. We didn't even, we, we just knew the idea would work. We were like, Whoopi, would you do it? She said, yeah, she was so behind it. She filmed a taster. So Whoopi Goldberg's in it. You can see her in the taster, me and Whoopi. We, you can see what the show is. And it, she said, yes, and she's in it. She, it's tangible. You can see her. Not one TV channel in Britain wanted it. Not one. Wow. Not one. Wow. And I said to myself, I can't even get a show with Whoopi Goldberg off the ground. Like it's Whoopi Goldberg. Like what, if I can't even make that happen, what am I doing in this country anymore? Like mm. forget me, take me out of the equation. She's Whoopi Goldberg. She would have told me at eight years old, Whoopi Goldberg is gonna agree to do a show with you and nobody would wanna make it because they still see black women as like an afterthought or not mainstream enough or, uh, you know, they just don't take us seriously to the point where you've got the biggest female comedian in the world who happens to be a black woman. And she, you can't, I can't, we can't get the show made. So- That's a major blow. I understand yeah. that. It was a wake up call for me. Cause I was like, oh, I have no, I have no business being here. Finding a reason to, to try and find a positive. Do you think that you would be prepared for the success that you're now having if you didn't have these hard hitting moments of no success? And- hearing the word no and not receiving the opportunities or the, the moment, you know, if you, if you had of, do you think that you're in the position that you're in now? No. And all, and that's exactly right. Every no made me work harder. And I'm so grateful for the no's. If they didn't say no to the Whoopi Goldberg show, I wouldn't be here. Cause I would have just been like, cool, I'll stay in Britain. And because they said no, I focus my energy on America, and now I'm killing it. More Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart after this. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This is Comedy Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. We are inside the mine of London Hughes. And London, before we went on commercial break, you said something, right? And it was your realization of saying, no, I wouldn't be prepared for this moment. I think everything that you said, I, I agree. You know, it's so fucked up and so unfortunate that people of color in the entertainment business in general have a harder fight. In comedy, it's it's a, I mean, Jesus Christ, we're all throwing haymakers, you know, and and there is this kind of, there's this kind of thing where it's only one that's allowed to be the star, right? It's like one at a time. Yes. We, whoa, hey, don't you, hey, whoa, yep. like five or six of them trying to do it at the same time. We got to slow this shit down. It's, yep. it's really, 
you know, it's really a thing, especially in comedy, where it's a it's like a one at a time thing. And, you know, if you're lucky enough or fortunate enough to become that one, you stay there for a while. Uh, and, you know, it's it's just a it's hard to even put the fucking right phrase on it because. Because it gets it gets so. I don't know, man, it gets it gets fucking weird when I talk about it because it's so true. Exactly what you said is so true. But we're always forced to fucking maneuver or or yeah. redirect. Yeah. We're we're yeah. always forced to fuck, we gotta go back to the drawing board. It didn't go. Yeah. And all yeah. of our stories become these amazing stories yeah. of hardship warfare. And we fucking made it through and survived. Yeah. Survivors, survivors of the shit fest that comedy <laughs> takes you through, right? And you know, the the reason why those numbers of survivors are so small. It's because those no's, those no's are, 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 are hard to deal with. When you give it everything you got and, and people are, are not even listening or not even giving you the opportunity to make you feel like your hard work is paying off, some people just go, you know what, fuck this. Maybe exactly. this isn't for me. Yeah. Maybe and it I isn't for me. Do that. I couldn't, I refused. Every no I got, it was never like, I'm shit. It was always like, oh, they just don't understand how great I am. Like my, I had a phrase and I was just like, um, I'm a superstar, it's just nobody's realized it and it's fine. <laughs> but like I am, <laughs> I know I'm one, just no, one, no one's realized. So any no I had, it was frustrating, but it didn't kill me. None of the no's killed me. I was very grateful for some of the no's. Some of the no's just made me work harder to the point where I'm doing so well in America because of all the no's. Those Yeah. You know how many TV shows I was supposed to, I was supposed to be on that was supposed to work out. You know how many pilots I've done that if they had a worked out, I would not be where I am today. Like all of all of those doors that got slammed shut, you know, prepared me. I didn't know it at the fucking time. They were they were all they were all gut gut-wrenching moments of what the fuck, man. How the fuck? I can't believe this shit. How do they not see this? This show would be the best show in the world. It'll be the best show in the world. I had Bill Burr on this show. Me and Bill talked about a pilot that we did together. And, you know, we were like, fuck, man, this is going to be it. This is going to launch both of our careers. But if it had worked, me and Bill wouldn't be where we are. And it's like, it's crazy because that's, that's, that's the feeling that so many people have, have had and now understand. And I, I, I'm, I'm highlighting this because to the younger generation that's possibly listening to this, you know, just because you hear these no's, just because, you know, you're you're getting that door slammed in your face, it doesn't mean that that's the end. It means that that just may not have been the right thing. And it's a yeah. challenge for you to challenge yourself and fucking step up to the plate and figure out another way. And if you yeah. keep doing it, you're ultimately going to break through. London's proof of the yeah. breakthrough. I'm a breakthrough. I ain't no's. Eight TV show projections. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. I couldn't get a show made of Whoopi Goldberg, and now I'm on Netflix. Have you? Kevin Hart. It's crazy. Have you reached out to Whoopi since you've been in the states? No, but I'm you going should. to. You I, should. I still want to make it happen and be like Whoopi. I'm so embarrassed for my country. I'm so sorry they did you. I don't die. even think. I don't even think it's that. I think. I think you should just reach out on the strength of you being a an admirer of her talent yeah. and and what she's done. And just saying, you know, I'm I'm in America and I just want to thank you for inspiring me. I want to thank yeah. you for, you know, truly being motivation and inspiration. And one day I would love to have some coffee or just talk to you or get to know. Like why why not? I will. I'm gonna reach out. And I wanna I want the show to have like I made noise about the fact that the show didn't happen. I tweeted it because I was drunk and I was watching Sister Act. And I was like, fuck, I really had a show with this woman. So then I tweeted like, FYI, to like my 30,000 followers at the time. By the way, guys, you know that I had a show with Whoopi Goldberg and no TV channels fucking wanted it. And it just shows that women in comedy are not taken seriously when I had an EGOT winner and no one thought it was a viable TV mm. show. And literally it went viral and so many women came forward. Even Gina came forward with a tweet about TV show ideas she had that got rejected with, with and there was, there's a thing in Britain where like, 
there's a lot of TV shows with male white male comics and then their mums or white male comics and their sons and, and white male comics and their best friends and they're like traveling the world and being funny. But women aren't really allowed to do shows like that unless they're like selling houses. So <laughs> really and truly for me, it was just like, I had to say it and I said it and now all my fans are like, I can't wait for this Whoopi Goldberg show to happen. So hopefully it does happen. But yeah. You know, I mean, I love it. I love the energy behind it. I mean, but if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it's okay. Yes. I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying there, there is no, there is no, there's no wrong there. I just, yeah. I just know that now that you're here, it'd be a nice gesture on your behalf to reach out and send flowers and just say, thank you. Like that's, that's yeah. just something that people don't do. Like people aren't used to just receiving genuine gestures anymore, yeah. especially in this fucking business. Everybody, because everybody wants something. Yeah. Everybody wants something from somebody. And if I can't get nothing from you, then why am I talking to you? Or, you know, yeah. that's a that's a weird thing in this Hollywood shit. Like they're they're not real authentic relationships. There's not many of them. So if you have the opportunity to build on some or 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 possibly develop one by just being a nice person, which you are, <laughs> which you fucking are, why not do that? Your your energy is amazing. Um I wanna I wanna talk about Catch a dick. Let's talk about the name <laughs> of your special and let's talk about how open you you were and how open you are at discussing, you know, your your past your past ups and downs from your 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 sexual activity. What what made you realize that this was that this was something that could be a part of your funny? Like this is okay for me to talk about and I'm comfortable with talking about this. Why? Do you know what? I don't know where it started, but I've always been that way. I'm that person that's really free with her mouth. I have no filter. I have no shame. Mm -hmm. So like if we were watching a TV show with my girls and one of the guys in the show, I'd fuck, I'd be like, oh yeah, I fucked him. And my friends would be like, you did? Really? And I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, what would you like? And I'd tell a story and I'd make them laugh. And um, I got the idea with To Catch a Dick because I was on my cousin's uh, bachelorette party. We call it a Hindu in Britain. That's my it's called a Hindu. A Hindu. Hindu. Okay. Hindu. So you've got a stag do, that's the men, and a Hindu is the woman. So I was on my cousin's Hindu in Spain, and uh, we're supposed to be getting lit, living our best lives in Spain, but it rained every day. So we were kind of stuck in the hotel. And I was um, maid of honor. So I was in charge of the entertainment and game. And one day I literally just like was chilling with all the girls in the hotel room and just telling them, about my sex life. My cousin probably asked me a question and I told them and they were just dying with laughter. And then after a while, like, I was just, it felt like I was doing a bit. I was just being honest and be like, yes, I fucked this guy. And then he was just trying to trying to go in my bum hole and blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, oh my God, then what happened? And then like, I literally just be talking about it candidly. And they'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I kind of felt like, oh, this is, this is good. I've got, there's something here, like these girls, what these I don't know these girls, there's about 20 of them, and they're just listening to me talk about my sex stories. And they were just like, then the next day they were like, so what happened with that guy? And what happened with that guy? And I was like, okay, this is the thing. And so like a year later, when I was thinking of what show to do, I was I looked through all my phone, like all the jokes I had in my phone. There were so mm -hmm. many sex jokes, and I was like, fuck it. And we live in a world where, like, when it comes to women empowerment now, women are speaking their truth so more so much more eloquently than they were before. Women are really mm -hmm. owning their shit. Because of the Me Too movement, women are like, yes, this happened. And I'm okay to say that. It's it's fem it's a new wave of feminism where women are just owning their wholeness or owning their sexuality. And uh, I think it helped with like, I think rap music really helped because you've got songs like Wet Ass Pussy being the biggest song in the world. You know? Huge song, like, huge, huge song. Huge song. But 10 years ago, I was talking about sucking dick and it would have been crude. Like, oh God, why is she doing it? Now it's like, you're powerful. You're living in your truth. You're a queen. And I was like, wow. So when I wrote to catch a dick, it just flew off me. The, all the, the stories are true. I love it. I love the fact that you are, that you're you're so comfortable and, and that you're open. I mean, ultimately being you is what got you where you are now and is what's going to get you further. Um, how, how was mom? How was dad? <laughs> You know, how, how, how did the parents react to Ooh. to seeing their daughter, you know, at a comedy show? Because I'm quite sure you invited them, 
you know, before the no. special time came. No? Nah. My no, mom see. and dad had never saw To Catch a Dick Live. So when I did it in, at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, it did really well. And my dad's a British comedy connoisseur. Actually, my dad's just a comedy connoisseur, full stop. He's like old school. He made me watch Richard Pryor. And I would watch my dad laughing at Richard Pryor jokes and I wouldn't even know why it was funny, but I just knew that it was because my dad was laughing. And my dad's a super intellectual man and he doesn't even watch like TV shows. He only watches like World War II documentaries. <laughs> like he's just that kind of guy. So if, if my dad's laughing, you know that shit was clever, witty and funny. <laughs> so like my dad would just crack up laughing at Richard Pryor and I'd be like, okay, I, I understand that this is supposed to be funny. And when I'm, when I'm old enough to know what the fuck he's talking about, I'm going to watch Richard Pryor. So like my dad, so his daughter, I'm his only like daughter who's famous. All of his other kids are normal. So like he's got a famous daughter and she's doing so well in comedy that he's super proud. He's just like beyond, it means more to him that I like got the, I'm the first black woman to be nominated for an Edinburgh Comedy Award because he knows the, the caliber of com comedians that have been nominated. He see, he watches Monty Python. He knows these British legends. And he knows now that his daughter is in that conversation because she's been nominated. Mm. However, mm. he refuses to watch To Catch a Dick. He he said that there's just something a dad need not know about his daughter. I've wow. never even said the name of the show to him. He knows it's called To Catch a Dick. He's read all the reviews. But I've never said, I'm not allowed to swear in front of my dad. Like, it's just a respect okay. thing. But I never okay. even said the word dick to him. <laughs> so, like, I just called it my comedy show. or my. How old is your dad? He's 60. How old is he? He's 60? Mm -hmm. 60 years old. I mean, yeah. you know, I think it's an amazing thing in respect. God, there's so much synergy here. You know, my mom, before she passed away, has never seen, she never saw any of my jokes. My really? Stand never seen a live show. Yeah. She was very religious. My mom didn't want to be in an environment where people were Where? cursing, smoking, or doing anything. Um, yeah. Do, have you ever tried to explain to your dad, like, Dad, look, I just, I want you there. Yeah. Like, does it bother you that he's not it, there? It doesn't bother me because he's so supportive. My dad's a huge feminist. He knows what To Catch a Dick is about. He knows I'm on stage deep throat in a microphone. And he's proud of me about that. He's literally like, anyone who thinks that this is crude or whatever needs to understand that comedy is subjective, one. And two, she has every right to go on stage and say how she feels. and and she can embellish and do whatever she wants. My mm -hmm. dad's totally fine. Mm -hmm. My mom, on the other hand, she seemed to catch a dick. Netflix made her watch it. They did this thing where they made my mom watch it and they made me watch my mom's reaction. Oh, wow, that's genius. Horrible. That's it genius. Horrible. I yeah, love that. My mom, my mom watched it and she, she's, my mom is like born in Jamaica. Uh, when she lived in Jamaica, Jamaica was colonized by the British. So mm. my mom carries herself like a Victorian white woman. Mm. <laughs> it sounds so weird, but like most Caribbean women, well, from Jamaica, when Britain colonized Jamaica, the, the, to show that you were worthy or had money, you would speak like the queen and speak like oh, this, wow. carry yourself a certain way. So my mother, speaks like this she'd be like hello Kevin how are you mm. and even though like she's black and Caribbean and her natural accent is probably more beanie man she's very much like <laughs> very posh she when she's speaking to people she's very posh and so she's the type of person that would spell a swear word so she would be like you're taking the p-i-s-s -S. she would never actually say it so I was shocked when she watched to catch a dick she rang me and the first thing she said was, that was fucking awesome. I'm sitting on faces, sitting on faces, sitting on faces. And it was just such a moment. <laughs> I've never heard my mom speak like that before. And she, yeah, she's super proud. She's That's, proud of That me. makes me so happy. That makes yeah. me so happy. Just like, you know, I think there's an amazing, you know, there's just great synergy there. That's great synergy to, to, to not expect them to you know, to go and react the way that they did. I, yeah. I think that's that's cool as hell. Yeah, especially for coming from black people as well. Culturally, Caribbean people have a thing where we don't we like we don't like to tell the world our business. And so me on stage, I literally call my grandma a hoe. I call my mom a hoe. And I was ready for the backlash, but my mom was like, it's art. And she's just so proud. And she's like, it's true. If I was on stage lying, and like bringing that, like quote unquote, putting shame on the family by lying, 
is one thing, but everything that I said on stage is true and she knows it's true. So to her, she's like, we've got to be able to laugh at it because it's the truth. Um, so yeah. And That's my huge. Mom, my mum and dad did well. I'm very proud of their reaction. Shouts out to your parents for responding to catch a dick positive. You're listening to Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now more from Kevin Hart on Comedy Gold Mines. Now, we talked about our last special, To Catch a Dick. It's on Netflix, guys. If you haven't seen it, stream it. Go look at it. London, I want to talk to you about what is the now? You know, like I said, we, we mentioned earlier that you're doing so much, but what are what are some of these goals that you feel like you can now check off the list? Like what are the what are the things that you feel like are in arm's reach and that that you're close to getting and, and that you want to obtain in this business and this thing of entertainment uh, and, and comedy? Tell me something. So uh, I'm that type of girl that writes down everything that she wants to achieve or for the year. So I'll write a list and be like, in 2012, I was grateful I did this, but in 2013, I want to do this. And every year I do it. And in 2019, uh, before I even had an agent or anything in America, the goals were get an agent in America, have a hit Edinburgh comedy show, have a Netflix special. Then there was a question mark over it because I was it was such a faraway thing for me that I was like, do I want to put that as a goal for this year, it might not happen. So Netflix special question mark. Mm. And then uh, also there was uh, movies uh, and Saturday Night Live. So for me, the next thing I would say for the now is movies. I've got movies coming up. I'm doing a movie called Hot Mess, which is uh, from the makers of Girls Trip, Will Packer, Your People. Nice. And uh, they, uh, that movie is going to be fucking sick. And I'll tell you why. There has never, ever been a Hollywood movie based on a black British female character. Mm. This mm. will be the first. And for me, the super important, not even in Britain do black women, black female characters in Britain get movies. So the fact that I'm a black British woman and the character I'm playing will be a black British woman and it's gonna be a mega movie, a Hollywood movie, that is just, it's insane for me. Like, because. As a kid, I genuinely just believed to be successful, I just had to be American. I used to mm. pretend I was an American when I was like 13, 14. I put on the accent. I was like pretending I was that girl because I wanted to be on TV. And in the 90s in Britain, there were no black people on TV. The first black person I saw on TV was Aunt Viv on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And that was only after my mom got cable. So back in the 90s, we only had four TV channels. And then if you were rich enough to afford cable, you could get cable. And that's when you saw black people. So I grew up going like, I wanna be on TV, but I, I'm black. So if I, to do that, I'm gonna have to go to America. And I used to think that the credits would flash quickly on the screen for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because it had uh, the actor's addresses in the credits. So I used to like sit up close to the television to try and find Will Smith's address to think it would flash up on the screen so I could write to him and say, hey, I'm London Hughes, can you put me in a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? And I genuinely, <laughs> like, he lives in Buna Vista. He lives at Buna Vista Studio. Like I literally was like thinking that that's why the credits would flash by so fast because they don't want people to know their address. Can I hear the American accent? What, that I used to pretend yes, to do? Yes, yes. What up, Kev? So, like, my <laughs> name is uh, Dijanay. I'm from Los Angeles. Um, yeah, I'm African American. I'm so cool. Like, that's how I'm so cool. I'm cooler than everybody. <laughs> this is a better accent than the British accent that I have. Like, it was so that's cool to be fucking good. What are you talking about? It's not even bad. That's good. That's good. My <laughs> London accent is shit. Do it. Shit. Do it. Do it. Do you know the Queen? Oh my God! You, is there is there any nutty butter? I want some tea. I want some tea. Can I get some tea so I can drink with the queen? Why do Americans always think we sound? Is that how I sound to you, Kevin? I don't know. I think my London accent is a combination of Jason Statham and yeah. and something else I've seen in a movie, and yeah. I just say queen. 
Yeah. Oh, right. You would be better at our accents if you grew up watching our TV. But mm -hmm. most black people in Britain grew up watching American TV shows. So that's why we're so good at the accent. Because I probably watch the same shows that a young African-American girl watched because we got cable. So I was watching like the Parkers, my wife and kids, one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. even the Jamie Foxx show, the Steve Harvey show. I was doing all of that. My stand-up style is, well, it is because of Deaf Comedy Jam. Because when wow. I was a kid, I, my brother used to get bootleg DVDs, their comedy jam DVDs, and that was the first stand-up I'd ever seen. And British stand-up is nothing like deaf comedy jam. It's white men standing still and, you know, being awkward and maybe they might swing a microphone a little bit, but that's about it. And then you've got like deaf comedy jam comedians like hamburger and like, do you remember him? And like, you remember Bernie? hamburger? Look at you yeah. with some with some comedy knowledge and history in there. Yes, yeah, hamburger. hamburger. Yes, a legend. Like that was me as a kid. I would be quoting him and obviously Bernie Mac. And like, that was what I grew up watching. So by the time I started doing stand up, I was running all over the stage and sweating <laughs> because that's how I saw the greats on Death Comedy Jam do it. And so, yeah, I, I, I find it crazy that like now this well, is my life. I'm in America and I have well, you just. You just mentioned Dev Jam, though. You just mentioned Dev Jam. You mentioned Whoopi earlier. Like you just said, Hamburger. Uh, what What is another comedian you know who's had a who's had a major impact on you? Kevin Hart. Uh, he's uh, you might have heard of him. He's quite niche. He. Uh, Kevin... What does niche mean? What the fuck is that? What did you just call me? What did you call niche. me? No, Kevin. You have you and to be honest, you your the inspiration you had on me was career inspiration because I remember obviously you from Soul Plane and seeing how you went from Soul Plane and then it was like yeah Kevin Hart's in Soul Plane and then we didn't really in Britain we didn't really hear from you and then you just went bang and you were just like everywhere I was like fuck not that I felt that you fell off but it was very much like there are no rules to this shit. Like this mm. is a dude from Soul Plane mm -hmm. where people mainly watch that movie for Snoop Dogg and he's fucking killing it so for mm. me I looked at that because at the time I hadn't even had my soul plane. So for me, I was like, fuck Kevin Hart. Like, I you got to respect it. You just got to respect how you just went, slapped up everybody. Like mm. that career-wise, you. And then in terms of like who I basically was like, this person made me want to do stand-up comedy. Chris Rock, Bigger and Blacker was the thing. It's the, one of the best specials of all time. And that was when I went, oh shit, this is, this is what comedy is. This is this is what I want. This is what I want to do. This is it. And uh, it was just it just blew my mind. And it's so crazy because about eight years ago, ten years ago, I was walking down Oxford Street in London, and Chris Rock was just standing outside a shop, and I was like, "Fuck, that's Chris Rock!" And then I was like, in my head, I was like, "Okay, there's a version of you that says hi to Chris Rock, and there's a version of you that doesn't. Which which version do you want to be? Like, what are you going to? What?" And I was having like a crisis because I was like, "This is my comedy <laughs> hero, right? He's standing there. There's no security. There's no one around him. People don't even realize it's Chris Rock." He's freaking like, out. He's freaking out. out. And I gave myself a pet talk. I was like, "Bitch, go up to Chris Rock. Just." Introduce yourself. Introduce yourself to him. And keep what was moving. the introduction? What did you and say? I said, hi. Um, <laughs> hi, Chris Rock. Uh, my name's London Hughes. I'm a comedian. Um, you don't know who I am, but you will remember me. And then walked off. <laughs> and that was it. And I literally like felt like such a boss bitch. But then I felt kind of idiotic because I was like, he won't remember me. And obviously he won't. But now, eight years later, I'm doing this show with David Spade, the Netflix after party. And Chris is coming on the show. And uh, I'm going to remind him because when I met him and said, remember me, I then tweeted him. And I was like, hey, Chris Rock, it's the girl that just said, remember me, Dundon Hughes. Holy remember cow. Me. And I Holy found the cow. tweet. And uh, it's crazy because you, you weren't in the call. You missed one of the most insane moments of my life. You were, why weren't you there? I think you were filming Man From Toronto. Anyway, Ted Sarandos, the CEO of Netflix, yes. has a call, a Zoom call for all- Oh yeah, when you had everybody media, on. Right? Yeah, I couldn't so get on. they basically, I got an email saying like, Ted Sarandos wants you to meet the Netflix comedy team. And I just thought it would be like the behind the scenes people like Ben Casey, people that I maybe didn't know and get to know them. And they sent like champagne and a whole little thing. And I was like, cool, I'll click the link. I clicked the Zoom link and I just saw Dave Chappelle, David Letterman, 
Chris Rock. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck. And then it was just like, um, Wanda Sykes, Tiffany Haddish, Ali Wong. And everyone on the call was a millionaire apart from me. And I was like, I have no business. I have no business being on <laughs> Stop this Stop it. Stop it. You have every business being on that call. That's why they included you. They wouldn't have asked you to be on if you didn't have a business. And, and sometimes it's about just seeing how cool these people that you that you may look at and put on the pedestal are. Does down to earth as down to earth can be. I mean, you know, and I and I credit Ted. Ted does an amazing job of really making the comedians uh, that he embraces on his platform feel special. He celebrates yeah. them. You know, he 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 appreciates them. He tells them that he's he's thankful for the relationships, and that's what a great that's what a great CEO does. You know, he understands that that his his success is is what it is because of the people that he embraces. And I think it's dope as hell that he always celebrates the way that he does. But it was just so, it was one of those moments where like Dave Chappelle, so like Jerry Seinfeld, you were supposed to be there. There was a Kevin Square. That's how I knew mm. you weren't there. But like, it was just weird. Like I'm watching my comedy heroes just chat and we're all in a room chatting and Ted's like bigging us up one by one. And um, I just see like Chris Rock in the corner and I can see it's fucking beautiful. He looks like he lived in a dream. It was just crazy. I was like, what the fuck is this, all this money? And Dave Chappelle's like arguing with Jerry and, and Chris over who's got the best background, like who's got the best house. And I was just like, this is insane. This is my life. And then I'm involved in this conversation. I'm here. And Dave, Dave Chappelle, like obviously one of the greats, he did this whole speech and he was like, I'm proud of everybody in this in this Zoom. Um, Ali, I was there when you opened for me. Tiffany Haddish, I remember this. Uh, Jerry, I remember when you killed it here. I know everyone in this room apart from that fucking British chick. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hi, Dave. And he was like, I'm sure I'll get to know you too, London. But cheers. And it was just such a surreal moment. Fucking but, amazing. Yeah. That's mean, amazing. That's that's the high that I want to stop on. That's I don't <laughs> I don't want to go any further because that's such a good high. And and he's saying, but I'm sure I'll get to know you soon. So let's end it on such a big Dave. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you, you are gonna get to know her soon because she's doing <laughs> so much shit in London. This conversation was exactly what it was supposed to be. Informative. And those people that don't know you got to understand who you are, why you are where you are, why you've made the transition from the UK here to the States, why you're excited about the success, and why eventually you're going to go back to the UK and you're going to break new ground and open up new doors for shit to change. It starts with a goddamn purpose, and I'll be damned if you don't have one. London, thank you so much. I thank appreciate you, so, you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Guys, until the next one. Peace. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.